So if I were to think of one word to describe the, the uniqueness of the Christian faith, I would use the word grace. Now grace is a common word. We, we use it in describing a generosity or a kindness or a benevolence toward people, but if we were to talk about um, the way Christian, Christianity ought to be or an authentic Christianity, I would think of that word grace. And the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 verse 10 said this, he said, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. Uh, you've probably heard that expression before, uh, but for the grace of God, there go I. <laughs> but Paul says it this way, by the grace of God, I am what I am. So how would you define grace? And I think there are probably many ways that we would think of it or use that term. John Piper said it this way. He said, grace is the sovereign work of God whereby he does for us what we cannot do for ourselves. That's a, that's a great, I think, great definition. It is the sovereign work of God where, whereby he does for us what we cannot do for ourselves. You say, well, I can do everything. Well, <laughs> if we hang around you long enough, we'll find out that that is not true. Uh, none of us can do everything. We may try to do everything, but grace is what God does for us, what we cannot do for ourselves. Now, I've abbreviated this message. I know none of you believe that, because um, <laughs> we're going to get out to the baptism. But uh, just four, four real comments. Um, the need for grace, the provision of grace, acceptance of grace, and the evidences of grace. I have that in an outline, but I'd just like to make a comment on each of these. Why do we need grace? Why do you need grace? Why do I need grace? Because there are some things I cannot do. And that is true because of the fallen nature of mankind. In Colossians 2, Ephesians 2, it says, You who were dead in your trespasses and sins. He's speaking about people that had come to Christ but talking about their past. So that's how we're born into this world. Here's, here's the, the, uh, what I call the agony of humanity statement. We're all sick and we're all dying. Um, it's going to happen. And as much as we don't probably think about it when you get up in this morning that, that you're sick and you're dying. And eventually every one of us are going to die. You know, 100 years from now, none of us... None of us are going to be here. So it'll, it will become a reality, and that has been all through human history, the problem of sin and death. They, they call this the problem of evil, and philosophers talk about this a lot, the problem of evil. And it is the effect uh, upon us. We've all sinned, and we're all going to die as a result of sinfulness. It may not just be your particular sin, but all the sin 
of this world, which it doesn't take long looking in the news to realize that this world has been impacted with evil, hasn't it? And the, res the result of that is sin, so, uh, of death. So the need for grace. We, we need help with something we cannot do ourselves. We cannot overcome sin all alone, and we cannot overcome death. So the second thing is the provision of grace. God, seeing our need and loving us, chose to provide a way to meet that need, to conquer our sin, and to deliver us from death. That's what he's done. That's, and only he could do that. He did, did that by sending his son, living a perfect life. He was an atonement, a sacrifice for our sins. And so you think of this as that, that Jesus Christ came into this world, lived without sin, and then died on a cross to atone for, to pay for your sin, all of your sins all of my sins, all of the world's sins on a cross. He did that because he loved us. God sent him because he loved us. And that atonement uh, set us free from that bondage of sin. Three days later, he rose again. And when he rose again, he defeated our second enemy, death. <laughs> we call it the last enemy. The last enemy you'll ever face is death. And by rising from the dead, he conquered death. So that's the provision and the way that God has provided for us. So we, we go back to that statement, God's sovereign work, whereby he does for us what we cannot do for ourselves. He's conquered sin and death. So that brings me to the third point, the acceptance of grace, because you are a free moral agent. God is not going to kick down the door to your heart and force you <laughs> to, to have a relationship with him. He doesn't do it that way. He offers it. That's why we call this that the work has been done by Christ in the offer of eternal life, of abundant life, of a joyful life. It's not an easy life, but the offer of that is given to you. And it's given to everyone. But in order to have that, we must receive that and, and give thanks. We, you know, that's for every, and you know what? If you, you're wonderful parents and you've got great kids, uh, it doesn't transfer automatically to your kids. Every, every kid is going to have to come to a point to make their own decision. You'll have to come to the point to make your own decision. So the acceptance of that grace. And to, today... Uh, we're going to have a baptism, which is kind of testifying of the fact that people have done that, that they have received that free gift of eternal life, which brings me to my fourth point and final point. See, I, w I moved pretty fast through that, didn't I? <laughs> Some of you are in shock. I know that. Um, are the evidences of grace. So when a person understands, I know I'm a sinner, I can't, I can't wash away my, the fact that I've sinned, I know that I have done wrong, and um, I know that I'm going to die someday, but knowing all of that, I'm going to put my faith and trust in Christ. 
and you do that. What happens? What happens? Well, immediately, you become a child of God. Immediately. And God transforms your life. He transforms your life. Probably the greatest evidence of God's grace, and I think most of you know what I'm talking about here, is when someone puts their faith and trust and begins a relationship with God through his son, their life begins to change for the good. <laughs> it becomes more and more like Christ, less and less like themselves. Now, that process of change isn't completed until one day we're with him. Another expression is in this transformed life is your life becomes a definition of love. Someone said, well, how do you tell a person is an authentic Christian? By the love they have. Uh, it's not by their theology. It's not that they check all the boxes or they, they, they keep the list of do's and don'ts. No, it is because the same love of God expressed to them is transferred out. So that should be probably the defining characteristic of a person's life that has received God's grace. And then lastly is baptism. So bap baptism doesn't get you to heaven, doesn't get you closer to God. Um, I want to make that real clear because a lot of churches believe that. It's, it's about what you do. Oh, I, got, I did the communion. I did the baptism. I, I, I don't go to movies. I, you know, it's like I've got all this list now. What baptism is, is a, it's an outward expression of an inward reality. So when we baptize, you say, it's a lot of trouble filling that tank. You've got to get a tank out there. Wouldn't it be easier to just get sprinkle people? <laughs> Probably would. But throughout all of history, this represents something. It, re it represents our identification now with Christ, that we are, when we baptize, buried with him in the likeness of his death, and raised with him in the likeness of his resurrection. It's a picture of how in Christ he's washed away our sins and he's given us a new life. And it is what I call the first act of obedience. When, when Once a person puts their faith and trust in Christ, which it's a decision you make to receive Christ, I say the first act of obedience is to be baptized. Because you're unashamed and you're testifying of the fact that you are a Christian now. And so for you, it's good because it, it confirms in you what you've done. And for the rest of your family, it's a celebration. <laughs> a lot of you have come today to celebrate this fact that these have each one already put their faith and trust in Christ. And we celebrate that fact, but they testify of that, and we rejoice with them. So my prayer for you is if you have never come to a personal relationship with God through Christ, that's why God created you. I would say that's why God created you, to enjoy him forever, to have personal relationship with him, and ultimately to live with him in heaven forever. And you can do that. All you need to do is believe. Because as, as we said before, God does for us what we cannot do for ourselves. You believe and trust in him. By simply saying, Lord, I put my faith and trust in you alone.
for my eternal life. Thank you. That's all you need to do. And then if you are a Christian, I'd like to encourage you to follow the Lord and believers baptism. Uh, I don't say too much about it because I don't like people to do it because they feel pressured. I want them to do it because I want to do this. I want to do this. And um, we're going to have another baptism probably at the end of August, 1st of September. So if you're interested in doing that, then you can share in that. So we're going to have prayer. <clears throat> we're going to go out on the back porch. This isn't super formal. So you just kind of gather around. And um, I think we have five uh, people to be baptized today. So we'll do that. Let's have prayer and then we'll head on out there. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we're so grateful for today. Sunday where we worship you, we celebrate every first day of the week, the resurrection of Christ, who has paid the debt of our sin, washed our sins away, given us life in his resurrection, a home in heaven, and daily his presence with us. I pray that uh, we just would have a, it'd be a glorious day today as we celebrate uh, what you've done and continue to do. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.